file twenty of a treatise of human nature by david hume volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by george jaeger book two of the passions part two of love and hatred section eight of malice and envy we must now proceed to account for the passion of malice which imitates the effects of hatred as pity does those of love and gives us a joy in the sufferings and miseries of others without any offence or injury on their part so little are men governed by reason in their sentiments and opinions that they always judge more of objects by comparison than from their intrinsic worth and value when the mind considers or is accustomed to any degree of perfection whatever falls short of it though really esteemable has notwithstanding the same effect upon the passions as what is defective and ill this is an original quality of the soul and similar to what we have every day experience of in our bodies let a man heat one hand and cool the other the same water will at the same time seem both hot and cold according to the disposition of the different organs a small degree of any quality succeeding a greater produces the same sensation as if less than it really is and even sometimes as the opposite quality any gentle pain that follows a violent one seems as nothing or rather becomes a pleasure as on the other hand a violent pain succeeding a gentle one is doubly grievous and uneasy this no one can doubt of with regard to our passions and sensations but there may arise some difficulty with regard to our ideas and objects when an object augments or diminishes to the eye or imagination from a comparison with others the image and idea of the object are still the same and are equally extended in the retina and in the brain or organ of perception the eyes refract the rays of light and the optic nerves convey the images to the brain in the very same manner whether a great or small object has preceded nor does even the imagination alter the dimensions of its object on account of a comparison with others the question then is how from the same impression and the same idea we can form such different judgments concerning the same object and at one time admire its bulk and at another despise its littleness this variation in our judgments must certainly proceed from a variation in some perception but as the variation lies not in the immediate impression or idea of the object it must lie in some other impression that accompanies it in order to explain this matter i shall just touch upon two principles one of which shall be more fully explained in the progress of this treatise the other has been already accounted for i believe it may safely be established for a general maxim that no object is presented to the senses 
nor image formed in the fancy but what is accompanied with some emotion or movement of spirits proportioned to it and however custom may make us insensible of this sensation and cause us to confound it with the object or idea it will be easy by careful and exact experiments to separate and distinguish them for to instance only in the cases of extension and number it is evident that any very bulky object such as the ocean an extended plain a vast chain of mountains a wide forest or any very numerous collection of objects such as an army a fleet a crowd excite in the mind a sensible emotion and that the admiration which arises on the appearance of such objects is one of the most lively pleasures which human nature is capable of enjoying now as this admiration increases or diminishes by the increase or diminution of the objects we may conclude according to our foregoing in book one part three section fifteen principles that it is a compound effect proceeding from the conjunction of the several effects which arise from each part of the cause every part then of extension and every unit of number has a separate emotion attending it when conceived by the mind and though that emotion be not always agreeable yet by its conjunction with others and by its agitating the spirits to a just pitch it contributes to the production of admiration which is always agreeable if this be allowed with respect to extension and number we can make no difficulty with respect to virtue and vice wit and folly riches and poverty happiness and misery and other objects of that kind which are always attended with an evident emotion the second principle i shall take notice of is that of our adherence to general rules which has such a mighty influence on the actions and understanding and is able to impose on the very senses when an object is found by experience to be always accompanied with another whenever the first object appears though changed in very material circumstances we naturally fly to the conception of the second and form an idea of it in as lively and strong a manner as if we had inferred its existence by the justest and most authentic conclusion of our understanding nothing can undeceive us not even our senses which instead of correcting this false judgment are often perverted by it and seem to authorize its errors the conclusion i draw from these two principles joined to the influence of comparison above mentioned is very short and decisive every object is attended with some emotion proportioned to it a great object with a great emotion a small object with a small emotion a great object therefore succeeding a small one makes a great emotion succeed a small one now a great emotion succeeding a small one becomes still greater and rises beyond its ordinary proportion 
but as there is a certain degree of an emotion which commonly attends every magnitude of an object when the emotion increases we naturally imagine that the object has likewise increased the effect conveys our view to its usual cause a certain degree of emotion to a certain magnitude of the object nor do we consider that comparison may change the emotion without changing anything in the object those who are acquainted with the metaphysical part of optics and know how we transfer the judgments and conclusions of the understanding to the senses will easily conceive this whole operation but leaving this new discovery of an impression that secretly attends every idea we must at least allow of that principle from whence the discovery arose that objects appear greater or less by a comparison with others we have so many instances of this that it is impossible we can dispute its veracity and it is from this principle i derive the passions of malice and envy it is evident we must receive a greater or less satisfaction or uneasiness from reflecting on our own condition and circumstances in proportion as they appear more or less fortunate or unhappy in proportion to the degrees of riches and power and merit and reputation which we think ourselves possessed of now as we seldom judge of objects from their intrinsic value but form our notions of them from a comparison with other objects it follows that according as we observe a greater or less share of happiness or misery in others we must make an estimate of our own and feel a consequent pain or pleasure the misery of another gives us a more lively idea of our happiness and his happiness of our misery the former therefore produces delight and the latter uneasiness here then is a kind of pity reversed or contrary sensations arising in the beholder from those which are felt by the person whom he considers in general we may observe that in all kinds of comparison an object makes us always receive from another to which it is compared a sensation contrary to what arises from itself in its direct and immediate survey a small object makes a great one appear still greater a great object makes a little one appear less deformity of itself produces uneasiness but makes us receive new pleasure by its contrast with a beautiful object whose beauty is augmented by it as on the other hand beauty which of itself produces pleasure makes us receive a new pain by the contrast with anything ugly whose deformity it augments the case therefore must be the same with happiness and misery the direct survey of another's pleasure naturally gives us pleasure and therefore produces pain when compared with our own his pain considered in itself is painful to us but augments the idea of our own happiness and gives us pleasure 
nor will it appear strange that we may feel a reversed sensation from the happiness and misery of others since we find the same comparison may give us a kind of malice against ourselves and make us rejoice for our pains and grieve for our pleasures thus the prospect of past pain is agreeable when we are satisfied with our present condition as on the other hand our past pleasures give us uneasiness when we enjoy nothing at present equal to them the comparison being the same as when we reflect on the sentiments of others must be attended with the same effects nay a person may extend this malice against himself even to his present fortune and carry it so far as designedly to seek affliction and increase his pains and sorrows this may happen upon two occasions first upon the distress and misfortune of a friend or person dear to him secondly upon the feeling of any remorses for a crime of which he has been guilty it is from the principle of comparison that both these irregular appetites for evil arise a person who indulges himself in any pleasure while his friend lies under affliction feels the reflected uneasiness from his friend more sensibly by a comparison with the original pleasure which he himself enjoys this contrast indeed ought also to enliven the present pleasure but as grief is here supposed to be the predominant passion every addition falls to that side and is swallowed up in it without operating in the least upon the contrary affection it is the same case with those penances which men inflict on themselves for their past sins and failings when a criminal reflects on the punishment he deserves the idea of it is magnified by a comparison with his present ease and satisfaction which forces him in a manner to seek uneasiness in order to avoid so disagreeable a contrast this reasoning will account for the origin of envy as well as of malice the only difference betwixt these passions lies in this that envy is excited by some present enjoyment of another which by comparison diminishes our idea of our own whereas malice is the unprovoked desire of producing evil to another in order to reap a pleasure from the comparison the enjoyment which is the object of envy is commonly superior to our own a superiority naturally seems to overshade us and presents a disagreeable comparison but even in the case of an inferiority we still desire a greater distance in order to augment still more the idea of ourself when this distance diminishes the comparison is less to our advantage and consequently gives us less pleasure and is even disagreeable hence arises that species of envy which men feel when they perceive their inferiors approaching or overtaking them in the pursuit of glory or happiness in this envy we may see the effects of comparison twice repeated 
a man who compares himself to his inferior receives a pleasure from the comparison and when the inferiority decreases by the elevation of the inferior what should only have been a decrease of pleasure becomes a real pain by a new comparison with its preceding condition it is worthy of observation concerning that envy which arises from a superiority in others that it is not the great disproportion betwixt ourself and another which produces it but on the contrary our proximity a common soldier bears no such envy to his general as to his sergeant or corporal nor does an eminent writer meet with so great jealousy in common hackney scribblers as in authors that more nearly approach him it may indeed be thought that the greater the disproportion is the greater must be the uneasiness from the comparison but we may consider on the other hand that the great disproportion cuts off the relation and either keeps us from comparing ourselves with what is remote from us or diminishes the effects of the comparison resemblance and proximity always produce a relation of ideas and where you destroy these ties however other accidents may bring two ideas together as they have no bond or connecting quality to join them in the imagination it is impossible they can remain long united or have any considerable influence on each other i have observed in considering the nature of ambition that the great feel a double pleasure in authority from the comparison of their own condition with that of their slaves and that this comparison has a double influence because it is natural and presented by the subject when the fancy in the comparison of objects passes not easily from the one object to the other the action of the mind is in a great measure broke and the fancy in considering the second object begins as it were upon a new footing the impression which attends every object seems not greater in that case by succeeding a less of the same kind but these two impressions are distinct and produce their distinct effects without any communication together the want of relation in the ideas breaks the relation of the impressions and by such a separation prevents their mutual operation and influence to confirm this we may observe that the proximity in the degree of merit is not alone sufficient to give rise to envy but must be assisted by other relations a poet is not apt to envy a philosopher or a poet of a different kind of a different nation or of a different age all these differences prevent or weaken the comparison and consequently the passion this too is the reason why all objects appear great or little merely by a comparison with those of the same species a mountain neither magnifies nor diminishes a horse in our eyes but when a flemish and a welsh horse are seen together the one appears greater and the other less than when viewed apart from the same principle 
we may account for that remark of historians that any party in a civil war always choose to call in a foreign enemy at any hazard rather than submit to their fellow-citizens guicciardin applies this remark to the wars in italy where the relations betwixt the different states are properly speaking nothing but of name language and contiguity yet even these relations when joined with superiority by making the comparison more natural make it likewise more grievous and cause men to search for some other superiority which may be attended with no relation and by that means may have a less sensible influence on the imagination the mind quickly perceives its several advantages and disadvantages and finding its situation to be most uneasy where superiority is conjoined with other relations seeks its repose as much as possible by their separation and by breaking that association of ideas which renders the comparison so much more natural and efficacious when it cannot break the association it feels a stronger desire to remove the superiority and this is the reason why travellers are commonly so lavish of their praises to the chinese and persians at the same time that they deprecate those neighbouring nations which may stand upon a foot of rivalship with their native country these examples from history and common experience are rich and curious but we may find parallel ones in the arts which are no less remarkable should an author compose a treatise of which one part was serious and profound another light and humorous every one would condemn so strange a mixture and would accuse him of the neglect of all rules of art and criticism these rules of art are founded on the qualities of human nature and the quality of human nature which requires a consistency in every performance is that which renders the mind incapable of passing in a moment from one passion and disposition to a quite different one yet this makes us not blame mr prior for joining his alma and his solomon in the same volume though that admirable poet has succeeded perfectly well in the gaiety of the one as well as in the melancholy of the other even supposing the reader should peruse these two compositions without any interval he would feel little or no difficulty in the change of passions why but because he considers these performances as entirely different and by this break in the ideas breaks the progress of the affections and hinders the one from influencing or contradicting the other an heroic and burlesque design united in one picture would be monstrous though we place two pictures of so opposite a character in the same chamber and even close by each other without any scruple or difficulty in a word no ideas can affect each other either by comparison or by the passions they separately produce unless they be united together by some relation which may cause an easy transition of the ideas and consequently of the emotions or impressions attending the ideas 
and may preserve the one impression in the passage of the imagination to the object of the other. This principle is very remarkable, because it is analogous to what we have observed both concerning the understanding and the passions. Suppose two objects to be presented to me, which are not connected by any kind of relation. Suppose that each of these objects separately produces a passion, and that these two passions are in themselves contrary. We find from experience that the want of relation in the objects or ideas hinders the natural contrariety of the passions, and that the break in the transition of the thought removes the affections from each other and prevents their opposition. It is the same case with comparison, and from both these phenomena we may safely conclude that the relation of ideas must forward the transition of impressions, since its absence alone is able to prevent it, and to separate what naturally should have operated upon each other. When the absence of an object or quality removes any usual or natural effect, we may certainly conclude that its presence contributes to the production of the effect. End of file 20